Welcome to the Moser on Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by Jacket Media Co. And now, your host, Harry Moser. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Lou Weiss from Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm sitting here with one of my favorite guys, Harry Moser, who is the president and founder of Reshoring Initiative. And uh, Harry is uh, one of our regulars. He's on every month. And uh, I, I would read his bio, but <laughs> I only have 30 minutes. So I'll, I'll just give you a couple of things. Uh, Harry's been... Uh, uh, in Industry Week magazine, Hall of Fame. Uh, he, he was at the White House during the Obama administration talking about something about reshoring. Um, and uh, we have, you did a, you do a hundred presentations a year? 70 to a hundred. Really? Well, I do 12 for you. <laughs> that's a good well, start <laughs> the reason why you do 12 for me is because the pay is good yeah 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 uh, let's see you've been on c-span cbs npr usa today uh, i i got four pages of your bio here i'm not doing it harry i'm not doing it all right yeah. folks today we're, we're going to be talking about rebuilding and reshoring and collaboration partnerships between people, companies, and countries. Harry, kick it off. Okay, I, th I think the, uh, the logic of this is that you can't, there's a lot of things you can't do on your own. Even Elon Musk, he's got a team now of, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people getting the job done. By himself, he can't make a million cars a year. So sure. yeah, yeah, and he's got, Company, other companies, I think, working with them on the batteries, and he's got so to even the best, you know, the best manufacturing people can't do it on their own. And the U.S. as a country has shown that it can't do it anymore on its own. That the uh, you know manufacturing has declined so much here, lost you know lost five or six million jobs just to offshoring, and and so, so it's time for the country, for companies, for people. For companies, you know, to, to get together and and certainly fight for their own, do the absolute best they can, but in many cases see that that working together, they can all come out ahead. One of one of the greatest stories that we had, and we had these people on our uh, on our podcast, two companies in uh, New Hampshire were manufacturing companies, and you know that's not a big employment pool up there and uh, when covid began they started really having some serious problems and one company went to the other company and said look why don't we join together you need people i need people let's put together a um, a, a training program and I'll volunteer some of my people and some of my equipment you volunteer some of yours and so on and then let's do a campaign to get people from out of state to come to uh, New Hampshire. The only proviso was that when they do this, that they promise not to steal each other's employees. And uh, they did it and it was great. And then it started that there were more, there were a lot more people that heard about it that started coming to Vermont and they're now very successful. They have no shortage of people and uh, it's all because they partnered. Yeah, uh, the, the other thing I'd be concerned about if, if I were they 
the, the business about not hiring each other's employees, the government might get on you for that because that's restraint of trade. So I, I, I'd be careful about that one aspect of it. The, uh, in, in a somewhat similar vein, there's a, a group in, uh, <clears throat> in Charleston, uh, North Carolina, and no, Charlotte, I think it's Charlotte, in Charlotte, and they, um, maybe 10 companies ranging from a small, relatively small mold maker up to a big, you know, 20,000 employee company, and they, they started an apprentice program, Apprenticeship 2000, and they collectively go to the high school and say, here's, you know, 10 companies that are looking for people, there are all kinds of different, you know, mold making, uh, I don't know, electrician, all kinds of stuff, and then they recruit the kids in, the kids maybe move around for a couple months at each company, the, co the, the companies pick one of the students, the student picks a company, and, and the, the company that I know best down there, uh, I think it's Scott Rotman runs, Moldmaker, and based on this process, last time I talked to him, the average age of the employees in his mold making shop was 32. Wow. And what, what's the average age of your employees? Probably 50 or something like that. Uh, maybe higher. <laughs> so I, think really... I, I throw the average off. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, so some of the some of the kinds of partnerships. You, again, you can't do it by yourselves. For example, companies. You know what we want them to do is reshore and bring back five million jobs, balance the trade deficit. But consumers can help. They can seek U.S. products be willing to pay a little more, I mean, not 50% more, but maybe 10, 10, 15% more for a good quality US product. You know, the retailer can make it easy to find the US product. And if you come into a store and you're looking for a piece of clothing or a tool, and you have to turn over 50 of them to find one made in the United States, nobody's gonna do it. They're gonna buy the, the first cheap thing that they find, even if it says made in China. Right. You know, for, for OEMs, work with your suppliers. The, you know, I, I'm pretty sure, and I've heard, I've heard this repeatedly, that the Japanese automakers in the U.S. have a higher uh, made in USA content than the <laughs> U, than the U.S. brands do, because 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 they've grown up with the lean uh, Deming kind of belief that it's better to, to to simplify your supply chain, have have your suppliers close to your assembly plant. And they implement that when they get here. Now, some of it's made by foreign, like Japanese or, or German companies that come over and build a factory next to their assembly plant, but it's still manufacturing jobs in, in the United States. So, so I think uh, there's a lot of ways that each of us can work with the other for the good of, 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 of the society, the country. In regards to partnering, I mean, one, one of the problems that this country has right now amongst all 10,000 of them, uh, is that our birth rate is down and it's not going to get better. Um, you could get back get back with it, Lou. Uh, a couple more kids. No, I, no I'm not doing that. Well, then stop complaining. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to start changing diapers at 80. I, 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 I don't want to do that. I didn't do it when I was 30, so I'm not doing it at 80. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I lost my point, but oh, immigration, immigration is, a, is a great way 
to help bring manufacturing people to this country. And making deals with companies, letting immigration come in, um, train them, have the government do what they should be doing and as creating uh, training programs and uh, uh, of, of all types <clears throat> of manufacturing, which they're not doing, they're too busy fighting each other. Um, it's, it's a horrible situation. I, frankly, I can't wait for November 9th for all the TV political commercials to be off television <laughs> and off my emails. But, but they'll start they'll start again getting ready for 2024. <laughs> That'll be the big one. Yeah, I'm, I'm 100 percent agree in agreement with you on the skilled workforce, we, we, uh, the the uh, immigration. We, we tend to as a country, you know, let hundreds of thousands or millions of unskilled people come in across the border, however, and and we restrict the skilled who would fly in and check in through immigration and be a, a legal immigrant, eat, paying taxes, you know, Social Security, doing the whole thing, and 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 Canada does a much better job. Their their arms are much more open for that skilled workforce. And it's the it's the, like if you ask an economist, how do you get the the GDP to grow? They say there's really two factors. There's the pop the working workforce, the size of the workforce, number of people working. And productivity, and and if you want to increase the GDP, you got to increase one, the other, or both, and, uh, and and there's a tight connection between the two because if you don't have skilled workforce, then it's hard to get the productivity. So, right. so it's right. it's real obvious. I, I agree with you 100% on on the immigration issue. So why is China not issuing their GDP? <laughs> they got lots of people. They got lots yeah, well, of productivity. Yeah, actually, their productivity reports say that it's going up very nicely, much faster than ours, like like six percent a year versus half a percent here. So they've done well on that, but their workforce, their population is dropping by millions a year, and the workforce, you know, like the age of twenty to sixty or something like that. I think I read was dropping by three million a year, and so they're they're not they're they're going to shrink. No, they they're going to shrink, and, and and the and that demographic wave, I think, gets worse because there were for thirty eight or forty years they've had the one the more, the one child policy either legally or practically because their people don't want to have two kids because they can't afford it. Right. So so uh, you know they they don't do it. We've got to be smart enough to bring in. You know the best around the world, and uh, make the country strong enough so we can afford to bring in the you know you're you're what you're tired, you're hungry and poor or whatever it is. But you can't afford them unless you've got the the other ones working here being productive. <laughs> uh, that's that's correct. That's correct. Uh, let me let me throw an, just another idea in on 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 sure. cooperation and partnership. One thing I've toyed with and haven't had time to really do is to aggregate demand. <clears throat> to help your suppliers commit to expansion. So I've had a, a bunch of companies come to me and say, Harry, I need uh, <clears throat> castings for machine tool bases, thousand pounds, something like that. Yeah. And they've gone to every foundry that has that size capacity. And they say, none of them, none of them have capacity. They're all flat out. They, they can't do it. Yeah. And, and I can understand that when, when each company comes to them, but my, what I'd love to do is bring together <clears throat> 
four or five companies that want essentially the same kind of castings and bring together whatever, $20 million a year or $30 million a year versus guaranteed business that would be enough to convince one foundry to build a new foundry and take on all that. Right, right. So I, I, if anybody out there has any ideas on that, if they have a, a product that they think there's enough demand here and that if, if we brought you know, three, four or five companies together with their demand, we could convince one supplier who, who can't expand, who, who isn't going to spend $20 million to expand for one customer, but might if they had guarantees from five customers. So anybody interested in that, get in touch with me. It'd be, it'd be, give, give us your email. It'd be wonderful. Okay, harry.moser, M-O-S-E-R, at reshorenow.org. Okay. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get flooded. I hope so. <laughs> I, by the way, I, I have a house down in Sarasota, Florida, and we did not get flooded. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. Well, lost electricity for a day or two, a couple of palm fronds down, but other than that, it's just, just fine. So what happens to the house when you're up in Chicago? It gets air conditioned. <laughs> well, maybe you need to have somebody in show business come in and rent the place for a month i see okay and that that would be and they, they'd actually pay me and they could say that they were also paying me for doing the broadcast we could make we can lie about both <laughs> we can talk about that <laughs> uh, harry what uh you know europe right now is in not great shape on so many counts yeah we got the war in ukraine we got uh the Russians doing their thing. The economy is uh, crazy there. Uh, Prime Minister Tress uh, uh, resigned after six weeks yesterday. We may wind up getting, uh, what's his name? Boris Johnson. Uh, yeah, Boris back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he thinks that he's really coming back, but so does uh, our former president. But so how can, how could Europe partner you know, it's a good idea that you've got <clears throat> partnering, but, you know, you got Germany who is, uh, you know, the leader of the pack, so to speak, but they've got their problems. England is in the toilet financially. Uh, France, you don't even hear about anymore. Uh, give us some insight on that. Yeah, uh, Germany is the one I know the most about. <clears throat> and they, they're, I think, in the biggest energy problem, both because they're big <clears throat> and they're probably the most dependent on Russia, for, especially for natural gas. And they consume huge amounts of natural gas because they have very large petrochemical uh, factories there that take natural gas and convert it into polyethylene, polypropylene, plastic, ammonia, fertilizer, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there's com big companies over there, big time international companies that know that they're not going to get what they need this winter. And if they do get it, the price is going to be eight times as high as here. Ooh. Eight times as high. And that's, and this is your raw material, which probably represents maybe maybe the cost of the raw material equals, who knows, a third of your selling price. So, you know, or something, something yeah, third right. or half, you know, exactly. something that, because it just goes through, there's not much hands touching it. And, and so a lot of them are looking at putting factories refineries in the US, because here the natural gas is plentiful, the price is still pretty reasonable. In fact, I just I was just seeing on CNBC that the, the price of natural gas here 
in the last, I don't know, six months has fallen from $10 per whatever to $5. So it's back to more, more or less the traditional level. And while it's still way elevated over in Europe. So, so, uh, <clears throat> so what are we doing in terms of partnership? First, we'd be happy to have them build their factories here. You know? But the second, in the meantime, the U.S. has put a, a big emphasis on LNG, shipping natural gas over to, to Europe, to Germany, so that they can survive despite what Putin has done. There's a fairly new technology that's uh, come about. You don't hear a whole whole lot about it, but I've kind of taken on a kind of a special interest on this, and that's wave technology. And um, Europe is uh, probably the biggest on that right now. And uh, the United States is coming along. Matter of fact, I just did some research the other day. There are 64 companies here in the United States that are involved with uh, research and development and design and concept about wave technology. And it's really quite fascinating that uh, what basically what it is is putting turbines a couple of hundred feet below the surface of the water uh, under the waves, which we always have. We, it's not like the sun, it's a cloudy day, you have no power. There's always waves. As long as we have a moon, we'll have waves. Uh, that said, uh, the 20% of, I, I'm not sure which country it is, it's either Sweden or Norway, 20% of their power for residential use is coming from wave technology. And it's a pretty interesting uh, concept, and it's renewable. And we don't have to dig holes, and we don't have to, there's a lot of things we don't do. So a lot of com companies in Europe are quote unquote partnering in developing this because you know it's pretty much surrounded by water uh, and they can store and transport uh, the electricity at a fairly low cost. They yeah. need to do more of it so that they can have more people and lower cost to, to create this. But uh, I don't understand why we're not really big in it. I, we're not, not hearing about it. We're not hearing about the salination. We're not partnering. We should be partnering with Israel about how to generate the salination plants. Now, one reason perhaps is that the U.S., from what I've read, is tending towards solar and and less specifically offshore wind is in decline. It's not not coming on as much as it used to be. So solar seems like the the winner now. And northern Europe does not get a lot of sun. There's <laughs> a lot of gray, cloudy days. Right. <laughs> and and like you say, and they've got a lot of water around them. Now, now I'm I'm here in Maine right now, and there's I can see water outside my window, and down in Florida I can see water. So we're ready. Anybody that's got a you know a home unit that we can put in, yeah, let me know. <laughs> have you have you been at all involved in the wave technology? No, I've I've read about it once in a while, but I haven't haven't done anything. But it, I mean, it sounds like the kind of <clears throat> kind of product that the U.S. Cer certainly should be able to make be able to make, and but then we make turbines. Yeah, and That's so we, we yeah we make wind turbines, we make all kinds of stuff, GE right. turbines. So no question, we can do it, and 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 it, if we can do it in 
and uh, get electricity. We don't have to burn as much oil and gas. That's wonderful because our kids and our grandchildren will then have oil and gas when yeah, they, when they need it. <laughs> of course. Actually, there is one <clears throat> underwater wave turbine here in the East River in New York. And they've been testing it now for a couple of years. And about every six months or so, they got to bring it up because of all the underwater stuff that bangs into it. You know, cars, bodies, telephone bodies. bodies. Uh, so they got to keep bringing it up. So that was probably a bad test area to do it. They, might, they should have done it really in the Hudson River, which is partly owned by New Jersey. So I, I guess that's why they didn't do that. But uh, I think that this is a very, uh, very good, important, uh, potentially inexpensive, efficient method that we all as a globe should be partnering. It makes sense to me. If, if you've got anything on it, send me and I'll read it. I'll be happy to. Okay. So let, let me talk about inter international. We were talking about immigration yeah. before. Yeah. You know, one, one concern I've had with partnerships in the past has been that the U.S. as the dominant country since the Second World War, you know, uh, took on a mission to achieve, get everybody, all, all the developing poor countries into the middle class to have democracy everywhere in the belief that that if we did that, that you know, it would be peace forever and good times forever. And, and as a result, we gave up our advantages to help them. So countries would come up and we'd give them most favored nation status which means zero or minimal duties, <clears throat> while they kept hitting us with four, five, six, eight percent duties. But we were doing that because we were the big guy. We were shoulders were broad enough. We could we could help them along. Like China still has most favored nation status. Now that's insane. And you know, we were putting tariffs on their stuff and 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 yet we're giving them duties, the regular duties we've taken way down here. And the and Russia just came off of most favored nation status earlier this year. So, so, so the U.S. has sacrificed, I'm guessing, you know, hundreds of thousands or half a million jobs by by giving other countries preferential treatment, preferential access to our market that they wouldn't otherwise have had. So, 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 so partnership. When we were strong enough, maybe maybe that was a good idea. But for the last twenty or thirty years as our manufacturing declined, then that doesn't make any sense anymore. So any any actions we take have to at least be as good for us as it is for them. We can't can't be us, you know, taking care of the rest of the world anymore. Well, it's a, a very true statement. Um, we, we shouldn't forget the fact that we're the ones that actually created the offshoring. It was Bill Clinton who <clears throat> came up with his concept in the 90s about global trading. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He got it. And now everybody's bitching about, we lost this job, we lost those jobs. Uh, the prices are uh, uh, too cheap. Uh, we can't buy our own goods because it's too expensive. Yeah. So well, we did it. Well, one of the New York Times famous reporters, uh, Fried, Friedman. Yeah. Okay. And, and he, the, the world is flat and all this kind of stuff. And, and he, you know, maybe that's okay if you're making a really big bucks writing articles for the New York Times, you know, but if you're, if you're working in a factory in the United States, 
the, the a flat world is a, is a dangerous place. The uh, uh, you know w one of the things that uh, makes me think about is the uh, the U.S. Mexico and China can work together nicely. So there's uh, <clears throat> that we should be doing, and we're not really doing it yet. The three should get together as a team, bring back work from Asia, put the more labor-intense work into Mexico because their wages are sort of you know five, six dollars an hour, four, five, six dollars an hour, and put the more skill and technology intense up here, because even the work that goes back down to Mexico when they make, uh, let's say they do, they're doing molding. Well, they're going to get the mold from here, probably. They're going to get a lot of the chemicals from here. They're going to get a lot of the, you know, component parts that go into the assembly that they do from here. So on average, work uh, product that's coming out of Mexico shipped to the U.S. has about 40, 40 percent U.S. content, whereas product coming out of China has five percent U.S. content. So that's a that's a that's a partnership. That's a that's a win-win for everybody. Sure. Sure. Especially if you can't get it all the way back here, which is what I'd prefer to do. But with Mexico, for example, we would really have to deal with the drug issue, which we've just never done well. The best way to deal with it is for Americans to stop buying the drugs. <laughs> well, there's no fun in that, Harry. <laughs> I've never taken any. I've never smoked marijuana. I haven't, you could say I haven't lived, you know, but <laughs> try, try, try aspirants, uh, they were pretty good. <laughs> Harry, it's never too late. <laughs> so we have uh, Canada. Oh, let, let, let me go back to one, one last thing. You were, you were sure. talking be, before about globalization. And right. and I, I, I pulled a couple of interesting articles in the last couple of weeks. One. Two were like Barclays Bank and Bank of America, I think, and and one and they essentially said the same thing: we have passed peak globalization. That that the globalization, in the sense of making it all in one place, especially China and shipping it all over the world, is passed. That we're, we're there's going to be less of that, less stuff being shipped all over the world, and instead, most more companies will go for localization. And they'll have a factory in China, maybe, to support Asia, and a factory in, in Germany or France to support Europe, and one here or Mexico to support North America. Much more logical, much more efficient system. And then I, in, in the same, well, in that same gathering that I did of, of articles, uh, the one, one, a guy from uh, S&P, like head of risk analysis for Standard & Poor's, right. said um, that uh, if you've got a factory in China, you've got to think seriously about, you know, have, relying on just on that factory. And that if you that bring the work back to the US, even if it has a higher, a moderately higher cost, when you look at all the cost elements, even if it has a higher cost, that's a form of insurance, because it, it, there's a, a significant chance, whatever that probability is, that everything's stopping coming out of China. And and if that happens, you're out of business. And so are you are you willing to pay, you know, for, for, for whatever, 10, 20% of your components, you're willing to pay, you know, 20% more, which may maybe increases your cost by 4% or something to, to eliminate that risk. And, and I think most companies, if they do the math correctly, <clears throat> would say, yes, I, I'm going to bring some of it back. <laughs> well, considering that uh, three years ago, uh, 
a shipping container from China to Los Angeles was about three and a half thousand dollars. And last year it was about twenty thousand dollars. But and now it's uh, significantly less, but it's still about nine, ten thousand dollars. I think it's lower. I think I think it's back to five or something like that. I mm, I maybe I, I keep trying to bribe the dock workers to go on strike and and, and slow it down and drive up the rates, but it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> well, it, it worked once a couple of years ago, but I almost did it recently. <laughs> I always like seeing the Taft-Hartley Act in vote. Uh, that's, that's a real presidential power thing. Harry, give us your email address again for the latecomers. So harry.moser, M-O-S-E-R, at reshorenow.org. Great. Harry, any final words? Yeah, uh, maybe another form of, of partnership, that's, since that's what we're talking about, sure. is uh, <clears throat> don't, do not let procurement make the decision all on their own, because if they do, they're going to buy on the lowest price most of the time. And uh, instead, create a partnership, a team within the company, so that quality, inventory control, sales, assembly, everybody has some word to say about that. And, and then they'll go for the, um, they'll, they'll take le put less emphasis on price, more emphasis on availability. And so there, a really good article came out just um, yesterday or the day before. And I should, I should have brought, maybe I'll bring it in next time. And this lady, really smart, Resolink, she's the head of Resolink. And, and she said, until now, companies focused on uh, price. They wanted to get the lowest possible price. And now that's much less important. They're focusing on revenue. So which supplier will assure us of being able to achieve our delivery goals consistently year after year forever? And that might mean you have to pay moderately more for the product, but you know that you'll have it to assemble into your, you know, for the for the 10 cent, you know, 50 cent, a dollar, $5 parts that go into the $20,000 product. And if you don't have those parts, you can't ship the $20,000 product to make, make 5,000 in profit. So you have to put your emphasis on have, being able to get the things that you need consistently, and you'll make more money than if you nickel and dime to buy the cheapest stuff. And quality is also- uh, Of course. Ultimate uh, yeah. point. Absolutely required. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it, uh, China, <clears throat> Japan at one time they had the worst reputation on the, in the world of junk, and uh, <clears throat> Japan makes some of the best cars in the world. No question. U U.S. got sloppy what 30, 40 years ago. Yes. And now, from most people that I think are objective, say the 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 car assembled like the the BMW or Mercedes assembled in the U.S. People say is at least as good as the one made in Germany. So I would assume that the, that the Ford and the GM cars are essentially as good because they pull on the same engineers and the same sure. skills. Yeah. Sure. Uh, all they have is different shaped fenders. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, it's great talking to you all the time. I really appreciate your time. And okay. uh, let's see what you're going to be doing next. What do you got coming up next? We've got everything coming up. Everything that a company needs to make the decision to reshore and some, some ideas on getting the skilled workforce they need, because once again, I'll emphasize the manufacturing is cool t-shirt, which is an uh, important concept so that so that you tell the kids that why they should go into manufacturing, because it is so enjoyable, so ch challenging and rewarding. 
and and cool. And uh, we're here to help you get that message out. And they'll they'll be making more money coming out of a training program for manufacturing than they do coming out of NYU coming out as a beginner accountant or lawyer. Uh, especially especially if they come out in English or history or anthropology. <laughs> yeah, math is not a big thing for them. <laughs> Harry, thanks a lot. This was terrific. I really appreciate it. Always fun, Lou. Have a good okay. weekend. You Bye -bye. as well. Bye, everybody. Yep. Bye-bye. So uh, Harry's on every, uh, every month. Uh, we always have a couple of laughs and a couple of kicks and getting some very wise input from a, a guy who is probably number one responsible for reshoring in this country. Um, you would think that he would have a t-shirt that we could all see or have a chair that would be high enough so we can see. <laughs> by the way, who I, made I there you go. Who made that t-shirt? Was that made here or in China? Unquestionably made here. You think I'm crazy? <laughs> the, it's supplied to me from this outfit here, which is a, do you ever hear of Mitch, Mitch Free? Oh, I love Mitch. Okay, so he used to run um, MFG.com. Okay, right, sort of right. like a zometry kind of yeah. thing. And, yeah. and so he, he's a friend and, and he, he sends me these when I need them. And, and then I make them available to the people who report their cases of reshoring. Well, you have to order one more and that's a medium. No, it's not a medium. No, I'm medium. You're not a medium. Yeah, sure I am. How much? How much? Do, how much do you weigh? 165. Uh, I, I mean, I'm 193, and and I, I'm a large. Okay, I'll take a large. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, 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 I've been thinking about it. <laughs> tell, tell, uh, tell Mitch hello. I knew him from the days when he was um uh, with thomas register was he there before okay yeah i go back a long time with him well, well Tom, thomas you know was i thought it was a great company it was and, and there they were bought by zometry yes and that's amazing the money that they, those people they, they must have had a hundred million dollars or something to play with and and, and have done seemingly done very well so i, I worked there with kathy ma She's a VP of research, market research right. and communications, right. a very smart lady. So, you know, at some point uh, when we worked, after we worked through the series, maybe either you should get her on or you, or you should get the two of us on. Uh, that'd I've, be fun. I've, oh, that'd be fun. I've had a bunch of Thomas people on uh, uh, over the years and uh, they're great people. I am an advertiser with them. Uh, they keep pushing me to spend more and I keep on pushing them. They should be giving, giving <laughs> free, <laughs> free. <laughs> free, free's good. Okay. Everybody. Thank you much. Uh, tune in every week, everyone to manufacturing talk radio, uh, and come to our, uh, jacketmediaco.com where you'll see all five or six of our, uh, podcasts. All of them have to do with manufacturing one slice or another. So, and you'll see, you can see all of Harry's shows there as well. So everybody have a good uh, weekend and we'll be in touch. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.